What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the first PTD of the year that's pardoned the disruption. I'm your host, Matthew Potter. Um, I am your short sale connection, hedge fund connection, and also co-founder of the Family Tree at Real Broker. Go ahead and shoot me a message if you want some more details on that. Enough about me. We all know that some of our guests don't want to hear anything about me looking at you, RJ. <clears throat> that being <laughs> said, I wanted to hit the buzzer, the buzzer there, there like two, like words, two words in. in. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, <laughs> what we're going to do is we're going to start with the show's rules. We have four of the most available people on a Thursday at 1230-ish here in Mountain Standard Time. We're going to go ahead and toss around some questions. We're going to get some thoughtful, insightful answers, and then we're going to go ahead and award points for the winner. We're going to go ahead and start out with uh, introductions. Here we go. We have Steve Trang. Steve, go ahead and tell us about you. Steve Trang, Real Estate Disruptors. I have uh, an unusual obsession with getting better at sales. I love talking about sales, helping people with sales. So if you guys are interested in that, reach out. But yeah, just super excited for the first show of the year. Fantastic. Next up, we have Eric Brewer. Go ahead and lay it on us, Eric. Um, uh, my name's Eric Brewer. Brewer. I've been, I've been in real, real estate since 2006. I do a little bit of wholesale, a ton of innovation, a little bit of retail. Um, some fix, some fix, some flip, flip turnkey. turnkey. I've been teaching, I've been teaching innovations, innovations for about two years. Two years. Um, I've taught, um, over, taught over 350 people, people nationwide, nationwide and two in Canada. Canada. Um, so I'm also, also happy to be happy here. To be here. Um, I, also I also have a weird obsession, weird obsession that's not with sales, sales is the show to talk, to talk about, about that. that. So I'll keep so that, I'll that to keep myself. Outstanding. That's Eric Brewer. Next up, we have RJ, Mr. 9 to 5 Bates down in Texas. Go ahead and talk to us, boss. <laughs> uh, what's, uh, up, what's up, guys? RJ, RJ Bates, Bates the third, the third year. year. Uh, looks like, looks we, like have we have some, some echo problems, so I apologize about that. We can get that fixed on the back side. side but but titanium, titanium investments, investments for Texas, Texas, Texas uh, nationwide, nationwide virtual wholesaler. wholesaler. Um, um, excited to be here and looking forward to the new year. Perfect. All right. Next up is CJ Jefferson. Go ahead and take us home, boss. Tell us about you. Yeah, Chris yeah, Jefferson. Jefferson Richmond, uh, uh, I just want to do a quick shout out to Eric Brewer. I see he's worked on his elevator pitch, man. It sounds great. Uh, RJ, it's good to have you back. Uh, you got some titanium microphone problems going on over there, but uh, to each his own. Steve, happy new year, man. Good to see you. You look good. Looks like you're using mango butter on your skin. Uh, so it's good to see you today. Uh, I teach people how to get started in wholesaling or how to grow their business and do deals more consistently to get to five to 10 deals a month. I'm excited to be back. Uh, let's win again in 2023. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, it's good to have everyone back. And it's good to see Eric present with us to, to bring his A game. You know, we've been getting his, uh, his um, backup effort. So I'm glad <laughs> to see him back. Absolutely. Hopefully, uh, you know, Today, he'll uh, go ahead and join us instead of just sitting there crushing those novation deals during the show. <laughs> um, also, for our student, for our uh, audience, I do want to let you know uh, RJ's boss is going to go ahead and step in and clear up that microphone issue we got. <laughs> First question for the day for our panel. Let's go ahead and start it off. What are you seeing most people do wrong right now? Steve, go ahead and start. Uh, I would say that the biggest thing a lot of people are doing wrong right now is they're trying to play someone else's game. You know, I think that, you know, you see, especially with social media, what this person's doing, this person's doing that, this person's doing more video, this person's doing 
uh, you know, more novations. This person's doing more short sales. This person's doing more floats. Whatever it is, we're always seeing what, every, what everyone else is doing, and we're trying to do more of that specifically. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with doing any of those specific things. You know, novation has been great for our business. It's just specifically trying to do something that may not make the most sense for you in your particular situation. So I think trying to be someone else, when really the great thing about real estate is you can make money in a manner that's accustomed to your personality, styles, and preferences. Very fair, very fair. All right, Eric, what are you seeing most people get wrong right now? <clears throat> I would say doing nothing, right? So like whether it's staying in your lane and doubling down and diagnosing what went wrong and figuring out how you got to improve. We've all talked about it specifically on this show for the last three years, you could run an inefficient business, not be a really good salesperson, not be a great marketer and still make money. And the tides have changed, right? Like we, we now are facing a different set of circumstances. So I think um, what I would say is there's nothing worse than doing nothing. And I think that's the biggest mistake people make. Now, once they make a decision of what to change, they have a different set of circumstances they have to pick about what I change. Do I grasp for salvation and swing for the fences and completely uproot my business? I don't know that that's the right decision, but I think the biggest mistake I see is people doing absolutely nothing and just hoping for the market to change and things to go back to normal. And that's just not going to happen. That's a, that's a great point. That's a great point, Eric. Absolutely. I agree. Thank you. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> RJ, what, what are you seeing people get wrong right now? I think it's, you know, because the market has changed, uh, changing their hedgehog concept. You know, this is like the first thing that we teach at the Crucible is that you need to decide what it is that your business is going to be. And for us, that is narrowed down to nationwide virtual wholesaler. And because the market has changed that doesn't suddenly mean now we're going to be a landlord that takes down properties via sub two um that's not going to change our hedgehog concept but we are seeing people out there wanting to change uh what it is that they're doing inside of their business and i personally believe that's a huge mistake just because you're listening to someone like Chris Jefferson saying that he's going to be taking properties down and doing wraps. He has prepared for that. That is what he wants to do in his business. And he was waiting for this moment. That's why when you hear CJ talk past couple of years, he's been becoming cash heavy to prepare for this moment. And I don't think everyone's prepared for that. So changing what your exit strategy is going to be based around the market, what other people are saying, I think is a huge mistake. Valid, valid. Okay. CJ, what you got besides raps? I love raps, man. I'm going to say a little bit about uh, what Steve and RJ kind of said here. People just don't know what to do. And the reason they don't know what to do is because they're not critically thinking. And what I mean by that is everybody's trying to copy and paste the play. Everybody's just searching out different YouTube videos, different Facebook groups, different Facebook posts to try to figure out what it is that they want to do. Real estate is about two things. It's about active income and it's about passive income. How are you creating the active income? How are you creating the passive income? You have to figure out what those two things look like for you. There's tons of different ways you can get to active income. You can fix and flip, you can wholesale, you can do all these different things. Passive income, there's multiple ways to get there as well. But figure out what those things are, niche down on those things, get the knowledge and information, and then implement those things quickly and fail forward. 
is what I would say. Uh, too many people sitting stagnant, too many people looking at what everybody else is doing, too many people trying to copy and paste without any real work. And uh, unfortunately, this market is not going to be very forgiving for people trying to operate their business in that way. I want to give a huge shout out. You know, we talk about copying and pasting and, you know, copying other people's businesses. And Chris just did a wonderful job of copying all three of our answers. Yeah, I think <laughs> those are remarkable. Right. So that was fantastic. I just want to give a huge, huge shout out to CJ for that. No doubt. Sounds like a round one win. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's the benefit of going last. I think Eric is right as well, though. I think it's a huge problem with doing nothing in action. I mean, you might as well take some sort of action, fail forward, learn from what you're you're doing, because I see that from quite a bit of our students where they, you know, they reach out to me and they say, hey, I attended the Crucible six months ago. I had some things come up. Now I'm ready to take action. What's changed? A lot in six months. You should have been <laughs> taking action the entire time and learning along the way. Yeah. And I think, you know, to Chris's point, though, you know, the critical thinking component, because we do a lot of copying and pasting. You know, we do a lot of seeing what our competitors are doing. We're attending masterminds. We're having private conversations and we're learning what's working and what's not working. And the key part is not to copy and paste, right? It's to understand which part of what Chris is doing I can apply to my business, right? Which part of Eric, what Eric's doing can I apply to my business? And if I want to go get a job with RJ, like, you know, I can critically decide if that's important to me or not. <laughs> I think Appreciate like, uh, you know, RJ talks a lot about the, the head dog concept, which comes, uh, you know, from Jim Collins. And he talks about one of the aspects of a successful business um, is empirical innovation. And I think everybody knows what innovation is other than Steve. But the, the empirical part means the collection of data, critical thinking, and then what he describes as firing bullets, not cannonballs. So there's there's a there's a, a big danger in, in in making no change, but there's also a, a I think a really big risk to, to to what the guys were saying about swinging for the fences and completely changing your business model. Um, so what 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 you really should be doing again to Jim Collins' advice would be to fire a bullet, not a cannonball. And a bullet would be a small change to something that you're doing that's low risk, um, low distraction. Right. And then if it works, then you go, OK, let me fire one more. You have two bullets that 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 hit. Then you can go all in and maybe, you know, up. I was talking to a, someone today um, that went from wholesale single family and over the course of the year slowly made the transition to multifamily and large industrial. But it took nearly two and a half years for them to make that transition. They didn't do it because interest rates went up in June and by July they were doing something different. Yeah, I think another thing real quick, too, is, you know, I made a post about this on Facebook, I think, last week. You know, the error that a lot of people are made, ha have made is that when the market is up, they continue to look for ways to continue to move up with the market. When the market is up, you can do that, but you also have to plan for a downward market as well. In a downward market, you got to plan for an up market. The things that you're doing right now for the next 12, 24, 36 months should be impactful five years from now as well, right, inside, inside of your business. And that's an adjustment that people have to make you know, kind of at this time. But I mean, I think we're all kind of really saying, you know, kind of very similar to the same thing. Uh, so don't copy and paste, man. That's the most important. That is the end of round one. We're going to go ahead and toss this one up to, I'm going to give it to Steve starting us off right in the new year. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to go to the next one. 
uh, we have piggybacking on this, what marketing channel is actually working best for you right now in your business? Steve, start us off. Uh, for us, I mean, we only have just a handful of options right now. So our marketing channels, the ones that are working for us, is cold calling still. You know, it's, uh, it's a grind. It's a lot of work. But, you know, fortunately, we got some VAs that are trained well and they're pushing leads up and our guys are jumping on those calls to, to uh, schedule appointments, actual, you know, first appointments. That's been the best. Uh, I would say right behind that is direct mail. We're still getting deals from direct mail, fortunately. But I would say for us, by far, it's, it's been cold calling. Tried and true. All right, Eric, what's working best for you as a marketing channel right now? So I think one of the things we, we always try and, or at least I try and be cautious of is, is what marketing leads to leads and what marketing leads to deals. In my business, cold calling generates a lot of leads. It doesn't necessarily translate equally to an amount of deals. So right now, cold calling does generate a lot of leads. We, we try and do a good job of following up. It's a, what I would call a lower quality opportunity. Um, TV for me generates far less leads than cold calling, but nearly double the deals. Um, so it's two things. Cold calling is generating an awful lot of leads. TV right now for me is generating the most transactions and direct mail kind of fits in between. Um, but like our direct mail, we went the other day, the accepted response rate for us is one half of 1% which is to say that's working almost feels <laughs> counterintuitive <laughs> to me, but that's, that's, that's sort of the standard for direct mail right now. Um, and that's about where we are. So. Imagine how great TV would work if you had a face that wasn't made for radio. Um, next up, <laughs> next up, RJ, what's working best for you besides TikTok? <clears throat> right now it's going to be Facebook ads and, and that's, very recent. It's a, it's a new change for us. Um, and I haven't been able to say that since about 2017. Um, so it's a, it's a welcome surprise, but this is something that we have regularly preached for years now is that the what's working best today is always going to be changing. I mean, this is why we've done SMS. This is why we have cold calling. This is why we have PPC. This is why we have YouTube ads and Facebook ads running because over the course of time, they what's working best regularly changes and we're not all in on one particular marketing channel. And, and because of that, now we're able to see this, this boost from Facebook ads. So it's a, it's a welcome change for us. Taking it back old school Facebook. I like it. CJ, what's working best for you on the marketing side right now? Yeah, cold calling and then automated text message follow-ups. Uh, so we're doing a lot of cold calling. I agree with Eric. Cold calling is to create leads primarily. And we're creating lead opportunities and we're using automated follow-up structures over a six or 12-month period uh, to follow up and curate and nurture those leads and turn them into deal opportunities. Uh, so cold calling, automated text follow-ups is absolutely crushing it for us right now. Yeah, I want to just touch on something that Eric said right here. It was really smart, so it was really nice to hear from him. Um, there's a direct, there's a very distinct difference, right, between quality of leads on cold calling, which is outbound marketing, and TV, which is branded authority inbound marketing. So 
you know, I think that's uh, awesome that, you know, he's able to do, do, to do TV. But yeah, there's a very strong difference between the two, between inbound and outbound. That's why direct mail, I'd much rather take a direct mail lead than a, than a cold call lead. Uh, and then, you know, to RJ's point, it's awesome to hear that Facebook's doing really well because Facebook was really good for us first half of last year. It was really good for us. And then Apple made a change. And we're like, what the heck happened to our Facebook uh, yeah, uh, advertising? So I'm glad to hear 14, that. <laughs> yeah, we got crushed by iOS 14 too, man. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Well, it's it's exciting to see also the the reaction of our acquisitions guys and and the the benefit of having that new channel coming in. And sometimes I think it's just because it's a change of pace right? It, it reinvigorates their spirits. So it was something that we weren't even doing as of six months ago. And I actually flew out to Phoenix. I did a meetup out there. A gentleman came up to me and he said, Hey, let me, let me show you what I can do. And so I gave him the opportunity and here we are. Now I'm saying, Hey, it's, it's what's performing best for us. So sometimes it's also just not being closed minded to opportunities that come your way. I think it's important to differentiate. Yeah, like for me, we tried Facebook two years ago and got tons of leads, but the quality was garbage. And the feedback that we were getting was the opt-in was too easy. People were filling out the form. They weren't really interested. It was spam. Um, I don't know. We do some Facebook retargeting, but we don't do any like paid Facebook ads. Um, so RJ, I'm, I may ask you to share that information with me. Absolutely. I, I think it's important to differentiate too. <clears throat> The difference between inbound and outbound leads and that out and that inbound leads are always going to cost more money um just for people watching facebook direct mail you know uh tv do you guys mind sharing maybe what some of that stuff costs so people have a reasonable idea of what because i think we just say that and people don't understand that those are things that take a, a serious budget to accomplish um so if you guys don't mind kind of maybe sharing what that really costs. Yeah. So direct mail, we spend, there's a couple different providers. Like we have one relationship where we buy data, you know, very inexpensive. And then we send it to the mail house ourselves and we spend 40 cents a postcard, say 15 cents a record, so 55 cents a piece. Then have a full service um, mail house that pulls the data, mails it. I'm completely hands off. That's closer to 60 cents a record. Um, cold calling, you know, depending on where you skip trace, you're going to buy the record, right, for, say, three to 10 cents a record, and then skip chase it for probably another 12 to 15 cents a record. So for 30 cents a record, you can build a, a cold calling list of, you know, five, 10,000 people in your market. Um, TV is, is kind of a moving target. Like during um, the election, uh, the cost of TV was five times what it was. Um, prior to the election cycle. Half the time I couldn't even get on TV, but in, in most markets, um, you have to spend teen to $25,000 a month on TV to even make a dent um, impression wise. Um, so that those are you know the, the top three. Facebook, uh, you can spend 1500 bucks to two grand. RJ's might be 10 times that amount because he's doing nationwide, but um, the most I've ever really been able to spend in, in Facebook in, in one market of a million people is like 2,500 bucks. Once you get beyond that, you're overly saturated. So hopefully that's helpful as far as the cost for that stuff. No yeah. Doubt. And I'll, I'll break it down on like PPC. We're averaging like $300 per lead on that. Then uh, 
YouTube is like $250 per lead. And then on PPC, for me in particular, it's seven leads is to a contract. So our average cost per contract is right around $2,000. So that gives you a general idea of what we're running there on, on the PPC and the, and the YouTube. Love it. Love it. Outstanding. All right. So that round, I'm going to give it to... I'm going to give it to Mr. Nine to five with the Facebook ads, RJ Bates coming in hot in uh, 2023 here. All right. Next up, gentlemen, this one, uh, I think you guys are going to have some fun with. What is your word for the year? RJ, start us off. Uh, execution. You know, I, I mean, for us, I've talked about it on the, the previous episode. We, 2022 was us laying down uh the foundation for our future now it's about executing that and and really finishing the job that we started in 2022 um i i don't know if you're gonna see very many uh big changes for us from the aspect of like what we did in 2022 where it was hey buying the country club buying a, a ton of land uh, taking on the TV show, things like that. Those are foundation elements. I think now it's about executing on on what we started in 2022. Outstanding. Let's keep it go. Let's keep it going. CJ, what's your word word of the year? Yeah, word for 2023 is grind, man. Uh, you know the market's been sweet the past couple of years. Uh, if you took your foot off the gas a little bit, it was a bit forgiving. Uh, I'm seeing a beautiful opportunity right now. The market is looking. Uh, solid in the capacity of acquisitions uh, and our long-term growth plan. So I mentioned grind mode, man. I'm excited about it. Uh, we're working harder than ever uh, in our real estate business and our online business and uh, really just grinding it out and, and, and getting back in the trench, getting back in that spot of uh, just really making intentional pushes on a daily basis, being in pursuit uh, of the things that we're trying to get accomplished. And uh, I just don't see now as any time to, be passive with opportunities, be passive with each hour, each day. Uh, you got to grind it out, man. You got to make that push to get where you want to go. Absolutely. The grind does not stop. Steve, what's your word of the year? So for, uh, before we even get into it, you know, this is a question I brought up and in years past, I always thought this was like a silly thing, you know, like why, why are we going to focus on one word? But you know, for us, we just had our annual meeting a couple of weeks ago and we decided on, you know, a theme for the year. And unfortunately it's the same as RJ's it's execution. Right. Uh, it's uh, our we had we spent more on coaching last year on, on as an organization than we had in any other year. You know, we got we learned a lot from some really brilliant people. And there were a lot of opportunities that are available to us that we put on the board for quarterly rocks that we just didn't hit. And for 2023, when we had a meeting, we didn't add any new things to do for 2023. We just committed to doing what we said we were going to do in 2022. So executing everything we talked about, everything we learned. You know, I think the things that we learned, we applied maybe 30, 40, 45% of it. And this year we're going to do the rest of it. So execution is our word for the year. But it's better than RJ's. <laughs> All right, fair enough. So we're, we're going to rip from RJ. We're going for half points here. Eric, what's your word of the year? Uh, for me, it's discipline. I think, you know, when we talk about the market the last several years, we've been able to operate without discipline we've been able to been you know sloppy in our marketing sloppy in our processes sloppy on our rehabs we've been able to operate 
without the without discipline and it's been forgiving right now whether it's chris stepping back in and, and grinding and having that grit um executing all of those things require discipline right and if you think about my definition of discipline is doing the difficult things when you don't want to so when motivation runs out when the market shifts it requires discipline to do the difficult things when you're tired or you know for a, a lot of people i see this with operators that have potentially elevated to a place where they weren't going to acquisitions appointments or they weren't on the phones or they were able to step away and the market pivots and they're no longer getting the results that they they used to get and they have to have the discipline to step back in and maybe do a job they haven't done in three years i'm going to an acquisitions appointment at 4 30 today i haven't been on one in a couple months i'm going to go right so i think discipline is 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 the word that as this market unfolds for the next 12 to, to 60 months however long it takes to quote unquote recover for me i believe it requires a a, a drastic change in people's discipline you know steve you you talk about both of us saying execution and and i think the for the audience that has watched us over the past four or five months you and I are have been very vocal, you in particular over the past 12 months, me over the past three years of talking about our failures just as much as our, our victories. And so there's something to be said about the fact that we both landed on the same word, because if you have struggled, if you have had failures, you need to look back and maybe take some some advice there from what our word is, is maybe part of what we have deciphered is, is that maybe it wasn't the, the wrong plan or anything or the education. It was just due to the lack of execution. Um, Elijah, my, my partner and best friend, he says that all the time, execution is the mother of all skills. And, and that's where we have really pointed back to saying, if we had just been better on that right there, we wouldn't have had some of the failures that we had. Yeah. It's hard, right? Cause I mean, I think, very close in, in vain with execution is discipline, right? The discipline to do, discipline to execute. And, you know, Eric and I have had conversations about this. I mean, discipline, I know he's saying that's his word for this year, but I also know like he's been really focused on discipline even last year. He's, he literally made the shirt. If it's not in Salesforce, it didn't happen, right? Like he, he got that shirt branded and handed them all out at, at Collective Genius. Like he, this is not something that he, he's, he's saying lightly, it's something he's very passionate about. So it's, it's, it's cool that, you know, that's still the focus because there's still more work to be done. And I've had a chance to peek at Eric's operations. It's outrageously good. The, the fact that he thinks there could be even more discipline is, is, is a testament. The point being here is, is after everyone's spoken, does anyone even remember what CJ said? It was irrelevant. <laughs> I, I think that's because you guys have had... I think it's this turn. <laughs> now, I, think, I think you guys have just had two years uh, sooner CJ, than I a long time ago. CJ, look, let me help you. Out. CJ, let me help you. Out. Please, RJ, please, please. repetition is the mother of all skill, not execution, buddy. So, um, but either way, it's it's tomato, tomato. You know. Look, at the end of the day, Eric, that was great. Hey, look, at the end of the day, it's this, right? Everybody's doing everything but chasing work. You can call it discipline. You can call it execution. You can call it whatever the hell you want to call it. It's called work. It's called grinding and doing work. What happens is everybody's chasing easy. Everybody's chasing the copy and paste. Everybody's chasing Steve. What do I do? What best? What's the best list? Oh, Eric, how do I do innovation? RJ, how do I buy a country club? Everybody's chasing, chasing, chasing. Chase the work. 
Face the grind. It will reward you every single time for the rest of your entire life. If you do the work, it pays. You just have to go do it. Right. You will not correct me on me quoting someone else when I know what they said. <laughs> I mean, but you agree with it. You you could have said, you know, my buddy gets this wrong, but he says it all the time. And by the way, he said it with enough confidence that the other two guys believed it. It's just as much of a, 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 a dig at them as it is you. It's You're not alone here. 44% of the people right now think I gave the best answer. That's all I'm saying. Fortunately for everybody on this panel, those 44% aren't making the final call on this. I'm going to go, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Eric, with Eric on this CJ. You had a great push at the end there. You really went for it, but I agree with Eric on this without discipline, even without discipline, you can't grind. So, you know, it, it's that foundational level right there. So Eric, congratulations on getting a point. We know that it was very difficult for you to get even, you know, here today with the uh, login. So we, we do appreciate you showing up and, uh, you know, bringing the discipline of trying to get in. No, he's had, he's had great discipline showing up for the show every week for sure. <laughs> I mean, he is on time though. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just, it's, I've just seen outstanding discipline, man. I've seen outstanding discipline. Yeah. All right. So before you guys go on to the next round, I'm just going to do a quick plug for our sponsor. So with capital thinning in today's market, it's crucial for real estate investors to build relationships with reliable lenders to access the capital they need. I actually refer these guys out this morning to, to a, a friend. Uh, that's where Kiavi comes in. Whether you're flipping houses or investing in rental properties, Kiavi offers fast approvals, high leverage, and reliable capital to close more deals in any market environment. Through their easy online process and dedicated support, you can access the flexible loan, loan options that help you scale your business confidently. Go to kiavi.com slash real estate disruptor to learn more and download your pre-qual letter in minutes. Terms and conditions do apply. Please see kiavi.com for further details about potential loan options. Thank you for that uh, commercial break there, Steve. We certainly do appreciate it as always. Um, next up, we're going to go ahead and move away from the real estate world and go into, you know, we're going to dive a little bit deeper with some recent events. Um, with everything that went on on Monday night with the uh, football game, if you were in charge of the NFL, how would you have handled it? Eric, start us off. So I think what we we don't know what we don't know, right? Like what we saw the end result was they canceled the game. I think they did the right thing. It was impossible for fans to focus, coaches to focus, players to focus. That was a, a set of events that I don't think we've seen guys, you know, get hurt and they walk off the field and they're waving. We've never seen anybody have to be resuscitated on the field. It was it was a near death experience. So did they make the call, the right call up front? I think the jury's still out on that. Um, I think initially they told him to take five minutes, recover, and get back on the field. And the players were like, we can't continue. Some of the coaches, I think, pushed back. And at the end, they made the right decision. Um, I don't think as that unfolded in real time that anybody really understood the significance of what was happening. Um, the guy almost died literally on the field, right? And to me, it didn't look like a huge impact. It was a really a sort of a freak accident. Um, you know, he didn't take a huge hit. Like normally when we see stuff like that, you're like, oh, even in real time, that hit didn't look that big. But at the end of the day, I think they make the right decision. Um, there was what, 55, how many thousands of people were in that stadium to turn those people away? And now they have all these scheduling conflicts and they've created a mess. 
but they did the right thing, right? Like they canceled the game. They sent everybody home. They allowed the players and families to go there to support them either from the hospital or from outside or to be able to focus on just praying for that young man and his health. I think they ended up making the right decision. Um, how they got to that, um, we won't probably ever know. Very good. Very thorough. All right. Next up, RJ, what are your thoughts? I think first and foremost, uh, they should be applauded for how they executed uh, the medical attention that he received. They obviously saved his life. Um, I saw uh, some reports that are saying that he is awake and, and improving um, as of today. So they should be applauded for that. I, I think they, uh, Troy Vincent came out and said that, you know, from the NFLPA's standpoint, they felt like the, the, the medical personnel executed flawlessly. Um, where I think the mistake was made was not in the time frame in which it took them to cancel the game. Cause I don't ever think a serious decision like that should be made swiftly. Um, I think the problem was, is that there are reports that came out that the NFL did make the decision to resume the game and the coaches and the players are the ones that said we're not. And so from that standpoint, the end result was the right decision, but I think they did make the wrong decision and their hand was forced to cancel the game. So I think that's where the mistake was made. Outside of that, I think they handled the situation really well, even up until this point of not rescheduling the game and kind of trying to figure out what's going to happen. I think that's been the right decision so far. Power of the people, uh, you know, humanity wins on this one for sure. Uh, CJ, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, first, thoughts and prayers of Jamar Hamlin, man. I mean, I grew up playing football. You know, it's just weird. Football is a, a gladiator sport. It's one of the most popular, if not the most popular sport in America. We tune in every Sunday, every Thursday, into the season, back into the season, Saturdays, Sundays, Mondays. Um, and I think this is just a good reminder uh, of the danger of football. Uh, of the reality of what this gladiator sport, you know, is really like. Uh, I think the NFL, ultimately, however they got there, did the right thing in canceling the game. I think having the expectation after something like that for people to retake the field uh, in a critical game like that just wasn't realistic in any shape or form. Um, I hope that he's okay, you know, more than anything, um, you know, Football is just a tough sport, man. I, I, I caution people about football. Uh, I come from a football family. It's something that can can cause you impact for the rest of your life. Um, and the reward isn't always that high either, uh, whether it's financially or, you know, look, there's only 52 men on a roster uh, on any given team at the end of the day. So, uh, again, I think they did the right thing in getting it canceled, however they went about getting to that spot. Uh, but uh, my, my message, more importantly, is, be cautious with your kids. I know some of you guys' kids, Eric, you're someplace football. I see on your Facebook post. Um, I just I just encourage everybody to exercise caution, man. There's a lot of other sports uh, that, that people can play and get a lot further in life than uh, putting your life and health at risk on a football field every Friday night at your high school uh, or every Saturday in college or every Sunday when it comes to the NFL. So maybe that's not what everybody wants to hear, but uh, I think that's the truth, and I think this is shedding more light uh, ongoing light rather on the realities of what this looks like as we become more health conscious as a society when it comes to our minds. 
deep thoughts there, CJ. I like it. Speaking of people trying to play sports, Steve. <laughs> so, you know, from, you know, the information that we've, you know, that's been released and, you know, some more information that I, I just shared that I, I wasn't aware of. So if the NFL originally made the call to resume the game, you know, I don't fault them for it, right? Maybe they didn't really understand the gravity because it's a situation they've never been involved in before. But they made the right call ultimately, you know. Um, something we preach a lot is that we got to listen to our people on the front lines. And in our office, the front lines are the guys that are recording, they're streaming this, the guys that are co-calling, going to the appointments, right? We're in here inside the building, inside the four walls, trying our best to make decisions for the company, trying to make the best decisions possible. But when our front lines overrule us, there's a good reason for it. And we got to listen to it. And it's so easy. It's like, no, I'm the boss. I, I call the shots. But when the coaches and the players say, hey, you know what? We don't feel right about this. I say, good. It's even better that NFL made the wrong decision and then listened to their people and ultimately made the right decision. So I know what happens from this. If they can reimburse all those people, I mean, I think that'd be the right thing to do for the NFL to do it. Sure. They surely have enough money to re refund everybody and, and, you know, whatever plans they took away from flight, hotel, whatever, you know, to reimburse everybody. I haven't heard, I haven't heard anything about that. I think that'd be the last thing to do on top of that to make everything right. But from what I've seen, I think they made the right call. They, if they listen to their players, which is what RJ made it sound like, then I would say they definitely made the right call. But my my point on that, Steve, is is that if Troy Vincent, who is in charge of the NFLPA, says the medical personnel executed the plan to perfection, then as a multi-billion dollar industry, if you had a process in place for this happening, which was to resuscitate a player on the field, why did you not have a plan on what you were going to do if that happened? And and that's where it's like, I mean, listen, it's it's very obvious. There's videos of both head coaches on the phone saying no. I mean, we don't know the exact words that were said, but it's pretty obvious that they yeah. were saying no, we're not going back on the field. That's well, where so, my issue is. So yeah. they had the right procedures in the place in place, right? For the, the worst case scenario for the player health health and safety, right? They didn't have a plan for what happens to the rest of the stadium, rest of the people. And, you know, in a perfect world, we plan for every, you know, scenario. But when you look at it, I, I think if you look at EOS, right, ideally we should have process and procedures for 80% of our operations. You look at our operations, uh, man, if we're at 80, <laughs> I'd be surprised, right? We don't even document everything we do regularly well, let alone document the exceptions. And I, I would say that this is an extreme one-off exception from my understanding. This has never happened. There's been one other person to die on a football field in the NFL, right? But I think that was after a big hit. It wasn't after, you know, something, a, a freak situation like this. So, you know, those there, there are exceptions that, you know, I don't think you can plan for every single exception. I mean, maybe in their thing, you know, God forbid someone actually dies on the field, they might have a, a, a call where they end the game right then and there, but... I mean, I think they're a one-off. So you can't plan for every one-off. Let me let me say it from this perspective. This is not the first time this has happened in recent years in major sports. There's a Dallas <laughs> Stars player who, as he re-entered the bench, went into cardiac arrest. They had to bring the defibrillator. They had to resuscitate him on the bench. The game was immediately, within minutes, canceled. Everyone exited the arena. So... From that perspective, sure, we can make excuses for the NFL and say they didn't know because this is the first time it's ever happened. But it has happened as of within the last five or six years inside of major sports. It just wasn't the NFL. 
So it wasn't as big of a story because it was the NHL, which makes far less money, and they executed it to perfection, in in my opinion. Yeah, I think the biggest thing in every scenario, right, is is communication and clarity. I think that's probably, if anything, right, it was a failure to communicate effectively, right? I think yeah. the, you know, it could even just be maybe, you know, the NFL has a rule in place, but someone underneath didn't know there was a rule in place, and they just regurgitated something, right? Or someone repeated, you know, we've all played a telephone game, right? If I ask RJ to pass a message to Eric to pass a message to CJ, make sure CJ gets his message, there's no guarantee the message that left my mouth is going to make it in CJ's ears. So who knows exactly? Like- what what makes it the right decision, right? Like maybe <clears throat> the decision about canceling the game was based on the response from the players and the coaches. So they didn't have the opportunity to – because if everybody was – like think about it. Most of the times, guy gets carted off the field. Most of the players and coach go right back to what they were doing. This is obviously different. The response from the players, the res- there was guys weeping moments after. Like you can watch the guys that saw them go down and they could tell something wasn't right, and they, they instantly started crying. So from the NFL, which incidentally, I think that decision takes place not at the stadium. It's someone far away in, in an office somewhere that's maybe watching the game. And their protocol might have said, hey, send out the first responders. You know, They, they make sure that the players' uh, care is, is of, of primary uh, importance. And once that's been cleared, we go back to, to, to game time, right? And what they did was they said, we're getting pushback or resistance from the coaches and players, and then with new information made a new decision. But every other time we've seen an injury in football, regardless of the severity, they've gone back to normal. And no one typically ever really complains about this. The circumstances here, which effectively was just the, the way that the players responded was, was morbidly different. They, they, were, they were obviously shaken, and with that new information, the NFL made a new decision. So I, I think initially their response was, it's a business. And it, it, how much do you think that ended up costing them? And certainly it's of uh, not the same importance of this young man's life, but it's it's a, a lot of money. And whoever was initially making that bucket, decision, though. what's that? It's a drop in the bucket. Look, we're talking about somebody's life at the end of the day, right? This, this, this is a life-threatening incident. You're talking about a young man who who got to his feet after a regular tackle, standing straight up, fell straight back on his back, right? You're talking about life-threatening, right? Eric, you got a son that plays football, bro. If that was your son, God forbid, right? I didn't say that the money changes the response. I'm just saying the money doesn't go away because it's a life. It still was a factor in somebody's decision. It just was. We We can act like it shouldn't matter. It's a drop in the bucket, but... You know how those people operate. The reason they have so much money is they are absolute savages when it comes to contract negotiate. Literally everything. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. But I think the right answer here, though, is I think they should have immediately, if that's the case, like all things considered, because you're right about that. I think you call a, a 10 minute delay. You call a 15 minute delay. You get your bearings together. We've seen weather delays called before. Right. We've seen the we've seen game delays called. Yeah, that's all good. You call a 30-minute delay, you call a 15-minute delay, and you get your bearings, you get understanding of what's taking place, and then you and then you put a plan in action. You know, I, I hear you, Eric. I'm not trying to beat you up because you're right about what you're saying. I'm just saying I don't think it's that complicated also. I think at the end of the day, when there's a life-threatening scenario, that's very differently, distinctly different than an, in, than an injury. Even if it's yeah. a severe in, in, in injury, I think it's still distinctly different. And so in that moment, 
I think at worst they could have called a delay, got their bearings together about what was taking place. I think the reality of it is that this was a critical playoff game, right? Or or playoff playoff impacting game. That that's maybe why a delay wasn't called immediately, right? That's maybe why they the NFL was looking to try to figure out how to make this game still fit, uh, because it this I mean it's this is a critical game that's still in the air at this point, right? But at the end of the day, it's somebody's life, it's somebody's son, it's somebody's brother, it's somebody's father, it's somebody's teammate. Uh, and I think you call the game as, as soon as possible. At worst, again, like I said, a delay first and make a decision quickly. Uh, last thing I want to say, I'm, real, real quick, Matt, because I, I just go, I want to say this because the one of the positives that came out of this was the flawless execution of ESPN and their coverage. I agree Joe Bob and Troy Aikman, Lisa Salters, even when it went back to Scott Van Pelt, they brought in Ryan Clark, who lost an organ from playing football. And then even to the next day when Dan Orlovsky is on national television <laughs> saying a prayer for the young man, I thought their coverage of this was absolutely flawless in a situation where they've probably never talked about having to talk about a young man potentially dying on the field. And, and everybody should go watch Ryan Clark's thoughts uh, in that coverage uh, and, and the things that he relayed and the, the thoughts and feelings that he conveyed as a player who had to deal with, with injury, significant injury on the field before. Um, I agree with RJ, man. I, I definitely, ESPN hasn't always gotten it right, uh, but they definitely in that moment uh, had spectacular coverage and didn't make it about the moment in the game. They made it about uh, DeMar Hamlin's health. Uh, and 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 the impact of football, which I thought was really good. Absolutely, it was five out of five stars. Would highly recommend ESPN keeps that keeps that going that energy through twenty three. This one, you guys all nailed it. Like you really brought great great thoughts. So I took it to the audience. The audience has spoken, uh, Mister Country Club. You got yourself a uh, another point there. So. Um, we got you on that one. Um, speaking of cancellations, that's going to be our segue into our next question. Um, Southwest Airlines, <laughs> what have we learned from Southwest? RJ, go ahead and start us out. I don't even know what to think about this whole scenario with Southwest Airlines because they're a, a business that a couple of years ago was built on customer service. They were built on this foundation of they outperform everyone with how friendly they are and the, the the situation that took place here where they just literally left thousands of, of people just stranded during the holidays. And I know people that literally they could not even speak to a representative for days. Um, well, what lessons can be learned? Um, don't ever do anything that they did during that time. I mean, it, literally everything that they did was wrong. I mean, um, I don't know what caused the situation. Um, I'm, I'm not as knowledgeable about this topic as I am about what happened on Monday night with the DeMar Hamlin, but uh, because this is just mind boggling that I, I remember a couple of years ago, there was the, the gentleman that would get on and he would do the the rap of, you know, if the mass falls and, you know, the buoy and everything that comes out, you know, as you have to do before your flight. And it was like this viral moment. And then now there's this company that just left thousands of people. Uh, just don't be like Southwest Airlines in 2022, I guess, is the lesson to be learned. 
Absolutely. The the rap was great. Um, everything after that's been pretty terrible. So, <laughs> CJ, what what, le- what lessons uh, with not stranding thousands of people uh, can you go ahead and uh, shed light on? Yeah, I think you got to take care of your people. I think Southwest has had some issues for the past couple of years in terms of flight cancellations, flight changes, and impact on customers. And what what they've stated or what's been said that a lot of this is a result of uh, pilot shortages, uh, you know, employees trying to unionize, things of that nature, what I th- which I think speaks to um, this airline not really taking care of their employees uh, that are critical employees to make that entire operation function. I think Southwest is a budget airline, right? They're a lower cost fare airline. And as a result, we've got rising fuel costs, we've got rising labor costs. And what that means for an airline like that or any business like that is they're now operating on a more compressed margin. Uh, and we all know that what do large companies, especially Fortune 500 companies do when margin becomes compressed, uh, they take that out on uh, employees generally, unfortunately, uh, whether that's layoffs, whether that's changes in pay and schedule, uh, more demanding schedules. Uh, they've been talking about flight attendants having to work 12, 16, 18 hour shifts uh, for Southwest in the news here the last couple of days. So I don't know how you make this right for customers other than issuing refunds uh, and, and potentially f- future f- flight credits. Uh, but uh, they definitely have done a, 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 a terrible job at managing this situation, man. So we'll see how it goes from there. But I think it starts with how they're taking care of their people. The open door of the friendly skies. Steve, <laughs> what you got for us? Well, what's fascinating about all this is that if you read a bunch of the Jim Collins books, like Southwest is always like one of the main stories in there right and the reason why southwest has always done well is because they just do one thing really really well going back to the hedgehog concept that uh, rj mentioned earlier right and so in doing one thing really well they have a system they have logistics that work really really well in most circumstances what it appears is that they are not prepared for certain specific circumstances right we had was it the cyclone bomb right that went through uh, last week or two weeks ago I mean, kind of like the the Texas freeze, right? We had a very unusual weather event and very many people were unprepared for that. And the reality is uh, they have a system in place that worked for many, many years, but they're going to have to reevaluate it because it clearly doesn't work uh, in extreme scenarios where, you know, they talk about like a pilot travels based off an existing flight path. And if one of the flights get canceled, they're SOL on the other end. Like this clearly uh, doesn't work. They have contingencies in place, but they don't have massive contingencies in place for multiple flight cancellations. So I think, uh, you know, Herb Kelleher, Herb Kelleher was the CEO for the longest time. He's one of the best uh, proclaimed uh, CEOs, a lot, a lot of recognition. And, you know, maybe this is a situation where once a leader has passed, you know, literally, you know, passed away, the, the, the company lost sight of its value, of its vision and what, uh, what it's, you know, prided itself on. So very unfortunate to, to see what happened. I think, Maybe they need a new visionary, a new leader to to fix their issues. Eric, what you got for us? I find it hard to believe that leadership fell apart literally overnight. So I don't know that much about it. I've I've watched a couple different like YouTube videos and so forth. And what they said was, um, you know, if you look at most of the, the the people that speak on it with a educated opinion, there was an antiquated software system. Um, combined with they run a completely different model than every other airline because of their strategy of effectively saying that 
planes only make money when they're in the air, right? So they made a couple very different decisions about how they manage their flights. Um, I've been on Southwest flights where there was like 12 people on a plane that held 250 people, right? And a lot of airlines would never fly that flight where Southwest did because they constantly wanted to be on time and and, and they were always um, putting planes in the air. So if you listen to the people that claim to know what happened, it was an antiquated software um, that I guess that for some reason had a collapse. Um, that set of circumstances, I think, put a tremendous amount of pressure on Southwest people. Like you had people stranded for seven, eight days over Christmas screaming at employees. They're really going to test their culture under those circumstances. They were extreme, right? And then the model that they run where they don't run like the hub and spoke model, right? And they circulate flights. I don't know the exact terminology, but I think the based on the people that seem to know what they're talking about, the antiquated management of those flights and the software combined with their unique model that they use, you know, led to this disastrous meltdown. I don't think it was a leadership issue that just all of a sudden, you know, reared its ugly head um, over Christmas. But, um, you know, I, I don't know that much about the, the airline business. So I think really, if anything else, right, like, because, you know, what Eric's talking about, what I read is basically they they have their competitive advantage was keeping the planes in the air, right? And clearly, one storm disrupted the entire business. So I think they've got to figure out a way to have logistics or backup for you know these extreme scenarios because the outcome from having the the their logistics is completely unacceptable, right? So. I don't know how they fix it, but I, I would say, you know, reevaluate. If it's software, freaking update the software. I don't, I don't know what else there is to do with that. But there's, you have to imagine there was storms that were 10 times worse than this one or comparable to this one that have happened in the last 40 years, right? So it, it would have had this same impact the last time there was a big storm. Um, so did that contribute to these circumstances? Absolutely. Was that the tipping point that went from literally Southwest has not just been a budget airline, but they somehow figured out how to be budget, provide exceptional service, and be the the, the, the most profitable airline in the history of, of that industry. Well, I think, I, you I know, just, going back to, going back to the, you know, you're talking about the planes are always in the air. So the hub and spoke model, right, where the planes are going back and forth. So if one plane's down, like, they're fine because they have all the other planes in the hub. Theirs is always traveling. It's always moving. So if there's a bad storm, apparently, that affects one airport, a bunch of airplanes are, are no longer working and it, it's just it just cascades well i think one thing that we can take from the last two topics both the nfl and southwest airlines is is that as business owners we do need to think about that worst case scenario i mean because uh, all of us said in all of our answers like i don't think they thought that this was possible and then it was, and it was like they were sitting there standing with their pants down going, oh, my God, what are we going to do? You know, NFL, not as bad as Southwest Airlines. That, that was on a whole nother level yeah. um, as far as how they handled it. But I, I do think as business owners, and we talk about, you know, reading traction and implementing EOS and these types of things, we do need to think about, especially in changing times with the market and all of these topics that we've had over the past couple of months, we do need to think about, you know, what would happen in these worst case scenarios. All right, we're going to go ahead and finish out that round. Uh, on that on that note, um, 
RJ nailed it again. Like I, it hurts my heart to actually give RJ this many points. He didn't like, nail I'm not this one. Lie. He didn't know what, what to talk about. He started his statement with, I don't know anything about Southwest Airlines or what happened. Exactly. How the hell did he win this round? Be, because he, he, came, he came with that <laughs> honesty. Look, <laughs> pipe down. All right. I'm going to see if Weasel's still available. Absolutely. Go ahead and reach out to him. I'll put him in a group <laughs> chain. <laughs> All right. So for our, fi- for our final question, this is an important one. And Steve, I definitely need a good answer out of you right now, especially after that little outburst right there. Not outburst. Um, I, was being, I, was, I, was, I was just curious. What is the best way to prevent burnout from your employees? Start us off, RJ. Man, um, I think first and foremost, have an open line of communication with them about what uh, their goals are and the vision for their life. Um, You know, one of the things that we provide to all of our students and everyone on our team is is a vision board. Um, So they have a general understanding of what it is that they want to accomplish. Um, And and the reality is, is that some no matter what you do, um, some people are going to feel the burnout and, and there is going to be turnover just due to the fact that this isn't what they're meant to do with their life. Um, that's one of the things that I have definitely learned over the past 12 years of being an entrepreneur. Uh, people that I thought that would be a part of my organization forever. Uh, their lives changed, their desires changed, either whether that's because they started a family, got married, whatever, their goals changed and burnout happened. And then they left the organization. So I I don't think that this is a, hey, if you do this, then burnout's not going to happen. But I think having an open line of communication as a leader and understanding what their goals are can definitely help. Solid. CJ, what you got? Yeah, I think first and foremost, you got to accept that burnout's a real thing, right? Uh, you know, as business owners or, or what I like to call micro small business owners or small business owners, what we tend to do is we tend to give people positions that, that relate to multiple positions of work. All right. So we hire somebody to do X, but then they've got the task to take on of doing multiple positions at a time. Uh, and that's a lot of times what has to happen when a business is in a really small state. And so I think first and foremost, you got to you got to draw clear roles in your organization of exactly what somebody is supposed to be doing and create those boundaries and expectations around that. And then you're measuring burnout based on, do you need somebody else in addition to that person to supplement that role and responsibility? And I think you can alleviate burnout in a lot of ways by doing that. I think keeping the relationships and the, and the business fun, I think having team building opportunities, spending time with your team, uh, communicating and like RJ mentioned and getting feedback, what are somebody's goals? What are somebody's ambitions as a business owner? How are you helping them in that direction? But most importantly, above all, uh, keeping a good measuring stick on how much work you're actually handing to somebody. They're not the business owner having the expectation that's supposed to do as much work as you isn't very realistic. Having that defined role, keeping them to that defined role, and then expanding the labor that takes on that role as business grows is the most important thing to look at. Work-life balance is a very important thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Steve, come strong with, come strong with it on this one. What do you got? Well, I think the the biggest thing is being very clear on on their purpose, right? RJ touched on this. So we have uh, Ren Bartlett. Uh, we recently released a, a product, Sales Leadership Training, which is talking about how how to find your salespeople's true purpose, right? Because they got to grind, they got to hit the phones, they got to hammer hard, they got to work a solid 
eight hours a day, right? Taking rejection and that can lead to burnout pretty quick. So all in all, you know, helping to find their purpose and ensuring what they do in your organization is in alignment with their purpose. Uh, Steve Jobs had a great line uh, many years ago, which was uh, the reason why you got to be passionate about what you do is because 95% of the time what you're doing is going to suck. There's going to be adversity. There's going to be challenges, right? There are going to be days where like, why the hell am I doing this, right? And it's that passion and purpose that pulls you through that keeps that keeps you going. So I think, you know, finding passion and purpose in what they're trying to do and ensuring what roles and responsibilities that you have at your company are in alignment, right? If I took Manny here, who's been running this podcast, and put him in the call center to hammer the phones, he'll be gone before the day's over, right? That's not in alignment with his purpose. He gets to do what he does every day, what, he, what he's passionate about. So I think, you know, just again, to echo RJ's point, passion and purpose and make sure you get alignment there. Steve, was that your official notice to Manny that he's going to be in the call center now? I mean, <laughs> I'm not above it. Right? We all got to work hard. We all, we all got, we all got to put in our fair share. Absolutely. All right, Eric, what do you got for us? Um, I, I agree with what, what, what everybody said here. Um, I'm going to try and give you a, maybe a, a more tactical, simple approach getting into someone's purpose and vision boards and all of that stuff, hundred percent accurate. It's really hard to do. And I'm going to guess for 75% of the people listen to this, um, not likely to do it. You Google say how to prevent employee, um, you know, burnout. And they'll say, here's the 50 easy steps. It's really difficult. I'm going to give you one piece of advice, create meaningful relationships with your people right? Um, things like purpose and vision, and, and, and they'll communicate to you if they're feeling burned out, right? Because you're not just walking past them. Number two is have some type of compelling dashboard. CJ talked about this a little bit, right? Like one of the things we don't do is measure what everybody does on a daily basis. And one of the biggest flaws in that is we don't know when it's time to pat somebody on the back or send them home early, right? So we have all these goals and sales goals and all these revenue goals. And literally, if you ask most business owners, if everybody in your organization did 80% of what's expected of them, would you be in great shape? Nick? Oh my God, we would be remarkable. But why don't we congratulate people when they get to 80%? Most of the time, it's because we don't know what 100% is, what 50% is, what 80% is. So having meaningful relationships and simply having a whiteboard that measures. I go into these companies all the time. I got a whiteboard and I go, oh, these numbers look good. When's that from? 2019? No one maintains an actual scoreboard or a compelling dashboard so that they can see what people's efforts and results look like. So meaningful relationships and a compelling scoreboard that you can measure what people do each day. I want to say that, Eric, that was obviously a phenomenal answer because I was looking at the way RJ was looking at you. I mean, it was really, I was really con concerned. So that was obviously a he very compelling answer. Me through the phone. <laughs> oh, so on RJ, you on mute. About time. All right. I want to let everyone know <laughs> that every PTD that either Leon or Eric are in the final round, I always vote for them. Because I want them to occasionally get points so they can keep coming back. <laughs> every now and then, they just hit a home run like this one. I mean, Eric, you nailed this one, dude. I mean, that was a great answer. Thank I you. I really appreciate that.
Yeah, and to allude uh, or to add to even what Eric's talking about, you know, if you were to Google it, I think one of those things they'll say is culture, right? And they'll give you some nonsense about like massage chairs and like hammocks for naps and you know the the whatever pizza those plas- yeah pizza party those plastic balls whatever you have right um a ball pit and a ping pong table like that's not that's not what's going to prevent burnout like don't right? look at it right like i look at i think some of the 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 best run organizations i've ever seen are family-owned chinese food restaurants like they get right jim collins says you hire eight of the right people to work like 12 and you can pay them like 10. Like the waiters at these restaurants make $274,000 a year, but like there's three of them and they do the work of 30 busboys and waiters, right? Um, so, you know, not every business can can bring family in. There's, there's an awful lot um, to be concerned about, about bringing spouses and family members into a business. But if you can recreate some of what it's like to have a family run business, which let's face it, it's about trust, transparency, and uh, Steve, you know, I, I know spends times with Larry Yatch. He'll tell you that you have to create a background of shared experiences. That's why family works so well together. That's why guys that grow up in a certain area in Richmond, Virginia, can not see CJ for 10 years and they speak the same language. They say the same things. Their communication after 10 years um, doesn't drop off at all because they have a shared background of experience. So that's what I mean by a meaningful relationship. When you go to a happy hour and you actually like listen to what they're saying and show an interest in what they do outside of the office, you create almost like a family run business. And if you look at those, um, those get handed down oftentimes generation after generation after generation are some of the most. And when I say profitable, do they make $30 million a year? No, but oftentimes those people live very admirable lives. Man, I'm, I just want Eric to keep talking because this episode of PTD has been literally the best episode ever and it's purely based off the fact that cj is shut out baby all we need <laughs> is harry potter to say no to cj on this round and it's over baby it's a shutout document it hit the buzzer baby all right so the winner of the final round am i gonna make all of rj's dreams come true I'm giving it to Eric Brewer, <laughs> CJ. Yes, I'm baby. CJ. I'm super, super sorry for your goose egg in the uh, first episode of the year. That being said, we can only go up from here, brother. Like nothing but love. That being said, hey, Potter, I'm- it's going to be said about time to get back to grinding, CJ. It's something to be said when when they got to stop letting the people vote because you went too much. Hey. They got to bring in a judge, man. Hey, That's like called heavyweight business right there, baby. Like, like I said, like James Harden up here. I'm. I'm just waiting on that merch, CJ. As soon as it comes in, those, po- <laughs> those points will start flowing again. No worries. Got you, man. I'm a kid. The, the you turn to the L this week. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for the first PTD of the year. We're super excited. We hope that you enjoyed it. As always, like, comment, share with your friends, your family members. Let's get this out to as many people as possible. And let's have some fun. I'm going to go ahead and toss it over to our panelists for their final outros. Steve, go ahead and take us away. Or actually, let me go ahead and now we'll go with Steve. (laughs) All right. So, uh, I mean, great, great first episode of the year. You know, I think that we hit, we knocked it out of the park. 
first week. I mean, three of us knocked it out of the park, so it was pretty cool. Uh, so, you know, it's always great to have Eric on present and giving massive value. So, uh, had a lot of fun and looking forward to doing this again next week. Let's go ahead and toss it over to, uh, let's go ahead and toss it over to our champion of the day, Mr. RJ nine to five. Yeah, man. Great episode. Uh, while we were talking, I saw that, uh, Adam Schefter actually sent out a tweet and said that when DeMar Hamlin, uh, woke up his first, he actually had to hand write it or type it out, but he asked who won the game. Um, and they responded back and said, you won. Um, so Ooh. that's amazing that he is awake and, um, and that he's able to communicate and, uh, just thoughts and prayers to that whole situation. Um, awesome episode guys. Brew crew. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, what, what, uh, made today's episode awesome was we, we had some, uh, really good questions, right? Like you got a lot of talent on this panel, a, a lot of really good business owners, innovative thinkers, um, plus Steve's on here. So. When you have good questions like that, you're just bound um, to open up really good dialogue and get a lot of nuggets. And, and, and I think the people um, that tune in here um, are, are very, uh, you know, should be thankful to get what comes out of this. I think it's, um, I get a lot out of it um, every week. And um, the, the time and energy we put into coming up with really good questions really leads to a great episode. Um, so I'm just thankful for everybody that put time, energy, feedback, um, into coming up with these questions. Um, I think that's why it was such a great episode because we had some polarizing topics to talk around, right? Like not everybody see, saw it the same way. There was a lot of contrast in the answers, but I think that's what makes this show what it is, is that you'll get some some conflict and some pushback, and that's what really makes the, the show enjoyable for me. Awesome. Thanks, Eric, and hopefully next week we can actually see you since you're blacked out right now. CJ, take us home. <laughs> no, nah, look, it's been great. Every boss takes a loss, man. Salute to RJ for finally getting another win. Uh, I don't know what Eric's got going up there in PA, man. I don't know if they got electricity or or if it's you got to turn one of those things with water. I don't know what he's got going on. Uh, but shout out to him as well, man. Hopefully he gets it all figured out. Uh, shout out to my guy, Big Steve. I don't even see. I don't even know if Eric's still here or not, right? You know, Eric, you know. I, it's like the guy essentially disappeared. I, I think I think what happened, Potter, is when you told him he had a face for radio, not TV. Man, took he it went dark serious. on us, bro. <laughs> yeah, he just, he just transitioned right away in the middle of the show, man. So shout out to him on transitioning, man. <laughs> Sounds like an echo from the bathroom. Care, catch Eric on 98.7, cool jazz. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to EB, man. Shout out to EB. But now find me on Instagram at the Chris Jefferson, man. It's been a dope week. See you guys next week. Much love. Thank you all. We'll go ahead and check you out next week. Thanks for joining us.